Welcome to Pazina Perspectives, brought to you by Pazina Investment Management, a global value manager known for our commitment to fundamental research and disciplined value investing. On today's episode, Portfolio Manager John Flynn and Director of Business Development and Client Services Adrian Jackson kick off our series about the advantages of active value investing. This podcast is presented by Pazina Investment Management, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor, and is intended for institutional investors only. The views expressed reflect the current views of Pazina as of the date hereof and are subject to change. There is no guarantee that any projection, forecast, or opinion in this material will be realized. Past performance is not indicative of future results. In the UK, this podcast is for professional clients only. This marketing communication is presented by Pazina Investment Management Limited, which is an appointed representative of Vittoria and Partners LLP. Vittoria and Partners LLP is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Hi, John. Thanks for taking the time to do this. I'm really looking forward to it for a couple of reasons, actually. Firstly, you and I haven't done one of these for some time. Secondly, a lot of the topics we're talking about today are very dear to my heart. So to set the stage, the main article in this quarter's newsletter is the start of a series that we're calling Why We Are Active Value Investors. Can you tell me a little bit about it, please? Sure, Adrian, and thanks for joining. It's, it's fun to do this, and it's, it's kind of a neat opportunity. This is a conversation I think you and I have had many times informally. Indeed. And to get to really dig into it here is, is I think, uh, is a worthwhile endeavor. Um, yeah, so we are setting a series of sort of why we are active value investors. And this quarter, we're kind of kicking it off, looking at a couple of different perspectives, really looking at the historical return profile of value, the perceptions of risk around value, and finally, just the flaws of indexing and kind of the, the false sense of security you might get with a value index. So let me ask you this question. What would you say to some of the investors that I encounter who say they understand the potential upside of value investing or proper value investing, as I call it, but they don't want to deal with the riskiness of value. They then end up using a manager that broadens the opportunity set by buying stocks that are kind of cheapish that we at Pazina wouldn't call value stocks. Right. There's a, there's a lot in that, and I think that's going to drive a lot of our conversation today. But, but let's just start taking a step back and, and just kind of looking at what type of returns you've gotten with value historically. Right. And, and we've gone and, and, and there's plenty of academic studies out there that, that have done similar type work. But, you know, what, what we showed this quarter is kind of looking at acqui returns by quintile based on, on price to book. And, and we use price to book not because it's a perfect metric. We'll get into we actually look at price to normalized earnings here at Pazina. Um, but because it's easily measurable, there's a long history. And so we have data going back to 1975 for the acqui index. And if you look in general on rolling five-year average returns over that period, the markets returned 10.4%, right? If you look at the cheapest quintile, it's returned 16.7%, right? So a very healthy margin over the general market. I think what's, what's striking is if you look at that second quintile, right? So the next quintile up from the cheapest, um, let's call it value light, if you will, mm-hmm. that's returned 12.3%. Still better than the market, right? It's good, but that's a big delta between the second quintile and the first quintile to get that perception of safety, right, that you're getting versus going after the true value manager like ourselves. 
But there's really nothing groundbreaking with what you said there or that part of the paper. Uh, as you mentioned, there have been numerous studies that show that, show that value works. Um, with so much empirical evidence supporting the efficacy of value, uh, why do you think some of these investors are still reluctant to embrace it? Yeah, I think there are two things that are going on there, Adrian. I think, I think one is the emotional and the behavioral component uh, and, and just the nature of these investments in the cheapest quintile by definition, something's gone wrong, right? There's something scary emotionally about it. They're at the front page of the FT or the Wall Street Journal, um, and the knee-jerk reaction is to run away from that. The, the second thing I think that, that goes on in people's mind is this kind of perceived notion that, by definition, uh, deep value, the first quintile, is just riskier. So, so let's dig a little bit into both of those. But, but I think the first one on the behavioral side, um, you know, we firmly believe that the only way you can get a good business trading at a substantial discount is something has to be wrong. We have a process and a culture that's really built around identifying these opportunities systematically and then going, doing the research, looking at the data, looking at the long-term outcomes for the business, and then creating a portfolio of skewed outcomes where if you're right, you make a lot of money, you're wrong, you don't lose that much money. And we do that over and over again based on fundamental research to kind of take that human emotional element out of it and focus on the facts. Now, you know that I like it when you guys use a specific company to highlight a point. Can you give me an example of a company that would kind of bring that to life, please? Sure, I think a great example in, in this case would be Lear, right? So Lear's an auto supplier, they make seats. Um, one of the things we love about seats in automobiles is they're completely out of the debate on internal combustion engines versus EV in the transition, right? Either way, you need a seat. But when you look what's been going on in the broader auto market over the past couple of years, um, with the chip shortages and supply chain disruptions, that's been really, really good for the OEMs, right? We've seen them all making record profits. For a supplier, not so much, right? Your volumes are down, you're depressed. Uh, you've got inflationary pressures that you can't pass through. Um, and as a result, uh, your earnings are under pressure from both a volume and a cost standpoint. Um, you know, we think ultimately, you know, we should see a recovery in volumes. The seat market is well structured, but that's going to take some time for that to come back. Um, you know, you look back, I think 2017, Lear did close to $20 a share in earnings. Last year, they did around six. I think first call for this year is around $11. Stocks trading at $130. So we think it's, it's very possible for Lear to get to $20 and above in earnings in the future as things recover. And at $130, you're paying six and a half times that multiple. So that's the type of investment we're looking for, where there's a lot of uncertainty around you know, the current environment, how long it will take to play out. No one knows when earnings recover will recover. We can be a patient investor and wait for that recovery to come and reap the benefits when it does. Um, you mentioned the perception that value stocks are riskier. riskier sorry. What do you actually mean by that? Well, I think... A lot of people, when they look at risk, what they really are looking at is short-term volatility. Um, oftentimes, it's you know it's a trailing 12-month volatility, um, and and the perception is that if your volatility is higher, there should be some return affiliated with that to pay you for that incremental risk. Um, and 
as a concept, it's, it's not necessarily a, a terrible one in the abstract. But when you look at investing in the equity market or investing in a value strategy or a growth strategy for that matter, a one-year time frame seems pretty short, right? I would argue that anybody with a one-year investment horizon shouldn't be looking at uh, the, an equity investment, right? And if you look at the volatility of you know, the first quintile versus the market on a one-year basis, you are going to see a pretty dramatic gap. But I would argue as you go out on the, on the spectrum, if you look at the, the volatility of the three-year trailing return profiles or take it another step to the five-year trailing return profiles, you start to see a convergence in the volatility and dispersion of that return. And I think that's the right way to be looking at a longer-term investment is, you know, what's the dispersion of returns over the long term, not necessarily over the short term. The example I just gave with Lear, right, there's going to be short-term volatility in that stock price as there's uncertainty in the environment. Over the long term, you know, the return you get, uh, we expect to be positive, uh, but it's going to take time to play out. Okay. You mentioned volatility results start to converge, uh, but does value still exhibit highly higher volatility? It does exhibit slightly higher volatility. So it's about 11% for the first quintile. The overall market's like 7.5%. So you are still seeing a, a slight difference uh, in, in the volatility there. But, but you know, you, I kind of made the point before, but you really can't think of just volatility in a vacuum, right? You can have a, a investment with a, a negative expected return and very low volatility, and the only thing that is is a sure way to lose money. Right? So we can't just equate volatility and risk. Um, and, and so one of the things you kind of have to look at is, you know, what is the return dispersion? You know, that, that, that volatility is really encapsulating that dispersion. And so if you look at the range of returns you get over that five-year period, uh, the rolling five-year periods for, for value, um, you know, what you'll find is 95% of the time it's in line with or greater than the market, right? Um, it's not really outside of the box. And then when you look at that extreme period, so the 2.5% the on the top and the 2.5% on the bottom, a lot of that volatility is to the upside and better than the returns in that second quintile or in the market. Um, and I think that, that profile of the dispersion of the returns is something that's very important to take into consideration. Thinking about it a different way, it's sort of how much return are you taking for that, that longer-term volatility and dispersion of returns? And the answer is it skews positive. Which is a good thing, right? It is. Okay. What about down markets? Doesn't value do poorly then? Short answer is yes in, in the short term, right? We, we've all seen drawdowns where the market panics and baby gets thrown out with the bathwater, so to speak. Um, but I think when you take a step back and you, you go back to this long-term investment perspective, that, that five-year horizon, um, you actually see over five-year periods where the market is down, value actually outperforms. Um, and, and I think that's a, even if you exclude the dot-com era, uh, that holds true. And, and I think that's an important point that a lot of people miss. Um, what about those investors that I speak to that decide to get their value exposure by investing in the cheapest half of the market by buying an ETF, for example? What do you say about that? No, you're going to have to cut me off, Adrian, because I get really excited about talking about indexes. Um, so when when you so value indexes have gotten so distorted, um, it's it's really quite quite uh, shocking. So let me let me give you a few data points here. First, 
when Acqui or Russell go out and they create a, a value index, they look to put equal market cap in both indexes. So they're both roughly the same size. And when you have a market like we've had for the, the past decade, really, um, you can see it again this year, but led by these big, big tech names, uh, or AI names in the case this year, um, you've got these huge market cap names that kind of fill up that growth bucket pretty quickly. Um, and then everything else becomes a value stock. And there's a number of names that are both in the growth and the value index, which is kind of a head scratcher because either you're cheap or you're not. It's, it's not kind of, uh, some days I'm a, a growth stock and some days I'm a value stock. But, but what happens is if you look at the Acqui index today, there are 200 more names in the value index, Acqui value than there are in the Acqui growth. Right. Um, if you look at the Russell, it gets even more distorted. There are 833 names, something like that, in the Russell 1000 value index. That's 833 names out of 1,000 names appear in the value index. That's a historical high, by the way. We saw a spike back around the, the internet bubble as well when, uh, when, when uh, you got this type of concentration. Um, so really, the value indexes are anything but a value index. Um, and, and what's interesting, if you go back and look at the historical data, the ACWI started breaking out the, the growth and the value indexes around 2000. And so if you were to go back and, and look at the historical returns there, the ACWI, uh, MSCI ACWI index has returned about 7.5% over rolling five-year average since 2000, right? So that's the market return. Growth. So MSCI growth, 8.5%. So it's beat the market. Mm -hmm. MSCI value, 6.3%. You say, oh, value hasn't worked. The value index hasn't beaten the market over the past 23 years. OK, but let's go back to the Acqui cheapest quintile over that period, right? That actually has beaten the market growth and value indexes, right, coming in at 10.6%. So you really have this you know, huge gap between kind of what we practice as value investors and what the market is offering as value indexes. I think that 83% you just quoted is just mind blowing. I think many investors still think that a value and a growth index are created with equal number of, of names anyway. Okay, the long-term perspective of value versus value light is obviously very interesting. The fact we've dispelled this myth that value is much riskier uh, than on average um kind of those are two very interesting interesting points we covered uh, just a quick thing before we start to wrap up the opportunity at the moment in value stocks how does it look so we think it looks pretty interesting um you know i think everyone's aware we've seen a good run for value in general since the uh the pandemic um and you know we look at all sorts of things in terms of valuation dispersion and and we've things, seen things come in from the 99th percentile of, of valuation dispersion to something like the, depending where you look in the world, somewhere in the mid-90s. So, you know, 95% or so t of the time, valuation spreads have been tighter. When you look at what you're actually paying for each of the quintiles versus historically, so, you know, what's the PE of the first quintile versus what historically the PE has been? Uh, the first quintile is at a 30% discount to history, right? So. You're starting off with the cheapest quintile, and then that cheapest quintile is historically cheap. What's interesting is you go to the second quintile, the discount's only 15%, not 30%. You go to the third quintile, you're actually paying a 15% premium versus history. 
So you really have this dislocation in the market where you've had this narrow leadership of you know, large cap, um, very rich valuations. Then you have a lot of the that's cheaper part of the market that's kind of languished and been historically cheap, even with the strong performance we've seen over the past couple of years. So we think that the outlook remains very, very attractive. Um, and, and we're pretty excited about our portfolios today. Okay, this has been great. And I think we've, got, we've covered a lot of ground and hopefully we've kind of whet the listeners' appetites to grab the newsletter and read the article when it comes out in a few weeks' time. Um, so kind of, maybe, what have we learned? So as many studies have shown, value investing has generated superior returns. And I think it's true to say that proper value delivers better returns than value light over time. Uh, there's a few myths, again, that over time we started to kind of bust here. Uh, again, this is that, you know, values returns, firstly, have volatility that aren't that different from other stars or the index. They are superior on a risk return basis. While they may be more dispersed, that, that dispersion kind of has better characteristics. And I think the last point is that, on average, they are better in up or down markets. So there's four things that kind of come out from the from the article that you know hopefully people want to read. Um, I at the start said so this is the first in a series of how many I don't know, but what else do you think we can expect, John? Well, I think we, we want to spend some time talking about the importance of a long investment horizon. Um, you know, we, we talked about that briefly today, but I think that's definitely up for future consideration. And, and also sort of a dive into just why deep value works and kind of the psychology of it and, and kind of you know what it really means to, to be a deep value investor. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to those. And I think you and I should see if we've done a good enough job this time around so we get invited next time to do the, uh, to do the podcast. I, I do hope so. <laughs> Fingers crossed, hey. Um, thanks, as always, to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, if there's anything you do want to discuss with us and you don't get the newsletter for some reason, please get in touch with your regular Pazina contact or just drop an email to info, that's I-N-F-O, info at Pazina.com. Thanks again, John. Thanks again to our listeners. Thanks, Adrian. Take care. You too. For more information on the data and studies discussed on this podcast, please see our third quarter 2023 newsletter commentary found on our website at www.pazina.com. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Pazina Perspectives. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And for more insights on value investing, visit our website at www.pazina.com. That's www.pzena.com.